when I was um, actually studying this week for some other things, I, I met a couple in Starbucks, and they asked me, hey, uh, and I've talked to them over uh, the last year, year and a half, and um, this husband has come to know Christ over the last several months, and he, they were asking me, what are you studying? Well, I gladly told them I, I was studying discipleship, and um, I was preparing for this class, and, and, and they were like, well, what's that about? And so I, I love that because it was an opportunity for me to not look at my notes. I didn't have any, any help around me. Can I clearly articulate to these individuals who are asking me what discipleship is? And um, I really felt that, that God gave me grace for it, but it was a good challenge for me. And so when you think of discipleship, what do you think of? Uh, what is discipleship? And discipleship happens on a, a number, uh, it, it, it just it happens in, in so many different ways. So for instance, um, I took Jude to Starbucks this afternoon, uh, and that's a form of discipleship. I'm just spending time with my son, um, talking to him, asking him questions, investing in his life, showing that I'm interested in his life, um, praying for my wife or, or listening to Valerie and, and, and caring about what she's reading in Scripture. That's discipleship. And the way she invests in me, that's discipleship. Um, every Thursday morning when I meet with three other guys, uh, we try to do it every Thursday morning uh, for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. We're just reading through books of the Bible together. These are, these are men that I respect. These are men that, uh, you know, I don't go into this meeting thinking, I'm going to teach them something. Uh, we, we, go, we go into it together wanting to disciple each other, sharpen one another. I, I'm always going to be a disciple who's called to make disciples. And so I'm always going to be receiving. Sunday morning, I'm receiving from Jerry. This morning, we learned about Elihu, okay? We're being discipled. We're meeting with uh, people all the time. Maybe we have the, ex- the real desire, and there's someone who God puts in our life to meet with and walk through, say, a book of the Bible with, a brand new believer or a non-believer. That's discipleship. There's, there's discipleship, and it just looks, it, it looks different, uh, depending on what you're talking about. Discipleship, though, isn't just what we think of it oftentimes as this program or a class like this. This is a form of discipleship. But discipleship can look like simply the things that I just uh, told you about and, and more. And so I think it's what, what, what's at the, the center of discipleship is God's word. And so uh, Christians coming together, just sharing God's word with one another, delighting in who God is through his word, uh, hearing somebody speak the word or sharing it with somebody else. And so... I'm just hoping and praying that more and more we would be less intimidated by this beautiful book that God has given us and how he reveals himself through it and just be excited about sharing what we're learning with others. We talked about this at uh, Regeneration Illumination, our student ministry last night. We talked about sharing stories that we read in scripture with others, being very open with what we're reading in the Bible and sharing it with others. That's discipleship as well. But... um, what I want to do is do uh, review a little bit. Go with me to Matthew 28. I want us to hear the, co- the command again, this great commission that's given to us. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Don't you love the honesty of Scripture? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so, uh, just to review a little bit, when we hear the word, or when we hear this passage, and when we hear about the Great Commission, we can make the mistake and think, first, number one, this is only for the disciples back then, or number two, this is only about converts, people making a profession of faith in Jesus. But at the heart of the commission is the call to make disciples. And the idea here is that wherever we go, as we go, since we are going, we're to make disciples. And there's a particular call in making of disciples, and that's to baptize and to teach. And and so that's what we're going to talk about uh, here tonight and also get into the implications of that. But obedience and vision is called for. And I want us to have a vision for this. I, I want us to feel the call that, that, that Christ has given us. This mission comes from Jesus, uh, and he has been given all authority. The authority to do this is in Jesus, okay? The authority to, to do this mission is in Jesus. And so this is the backdrop to his command to make disciples. We've been given Christ. He's with us by the Holy Spirit of God. Christ is present with us, and he's been given all authority. And so we move in his authority, all right? We've been given all authority in Christ. So the one who was raised to life, he comes and he speaks to his disciples and says, all authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. What do we do? Stand and just stand around and you know stare at our feet? Kind of kick the ground a little bit? No, we, we get busy with making disciples. And, and so then the mission comes to us. We need to feel the weight of this. Jesus has given us a clear mission. And it begins with, he calls us to all nations, but all nations includes this nation, and this nation includes your hood, okay? And your hood includes your family. And your family includes your children and your spouse. And so we have a call to make disciples right where we are. And, and, and so, number three, as first, number one, as we break this down, this, this, these last two lessons have been broken down into four main points. Number one, the mission comes from Jesus. We've heard it. We talked about it last week. Number two, the mission comes to us. We feel that command, that call. And now, number three, and this is what we're going to really talk about tonight, the mission comes with instructions. We have instructions right here. What's the method? What's the process? It's like Rose said, how do we do this? Uh, it's, it's not by lobbing gospel bombs at people. And what I mean by that, it's not like, all right, you know, just kind of like the drive-by uh, gospel presentation, and then you move on. Um, you know, believe in Jesus. Well, that's, that, that's really not what, what, what Jesus is calling us to. I mean, when given the opportunity, if we're not going to be with somebody, if we're not going to have a relationship with that person, yes, we can still bring the gospel to them. But he's calling us to something more than that. Not just to lob gospel bombs at people, but disciples need to be baptized. This is what we see uh, here in the, uh, in the instructions. All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so disciples need to be baptized. Baptism. When repentance and conversion is evident, present, and at work in a person, that person needs to be baptized. So a person professes Christ. Their hope and faith is expressed in Jesus alone to save them from their sin. They don't need to have this like complete understanding of all other doctrines and beliefs. Just do they trust in Jesus alone to save them from their sin? Have they placed their full faith in him? They need to be water baptized. This is the command. And this is a full-on 
public identification with Jesus and all that goes with it. So here's what's happening when you're water baptized. You're professing your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus before others. You're recognizing that your life is now hidden with Christ, that you have died and been raised to newness of life and that you don't belong to yourself. It's symbolic of entrance into the new covenant family of God. That happened by faith in Jesus. You became part of the family of God by faith in Jesus. And baptism, by the way, doesn't save you, but it is a command. And out of obedience, we want to we respond in obe- we want to respond in obedience to our king. And so the reason I'm explaining this to you is because first you're here and you want to know how to make disciples. And I think one of the best ways just to explain to a person who's new to the faith or you know, you're, you're seeing come to the faith is explain what baptism is all about. Because you get to go over some important truths about the faith that our life is now hidden with Christ. What does that mean? Our identification is in Jesus. He is our righteousness. When I stand before the holy God of all who created all things and keeps my heart beating, the holy God of all, what right do I have? How how, how could I stand before him? Not in my own righteousness. It's in the righteousness of another, Jesus Christ. His obedient life was lived for me. And his death, when he died, he took my sin upon himself and was raised to life so that I too would have life. So when I stand before the holy God of all, uh, what do I boast in? I don't boast in my works. I boast in the works of another, in Jesus. So he is my life. My life is hidden in Christ. And in baptism, what we do is we, we, we make this, this full-on public identification with Jesus. I'm his. I belong to him. And he's revealed himself to me. And my life is, yes, like you said, I'm, I'm, I've, been, I've died, but I've been raised to life. My, my old life is done away with. I've got a new life in Christ. And I'm fully identifying and, and, and fully embrace what he did for me, that he died and rose again. Uh, these are the basics of the faith, but how important are they? They're critical. And so you get to explain baptism to someone with that kind of passion and, 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 and joy. I love baptisms. I mean, I love, I love seeing people water baptized. It's just this, yes, I am, I am his and I belong to him. And everyone who's gathered here is celebrating with me. And I love doing it in public. And people are seeing a, people be water baptized. And it, maybe they, they show some interest. I, I remember doing a, um, a water baptism down by the pier, I don't know, a couple years now. Uh, ago and it was it was nasty water but hey we were there <laughs> we're like we had to go really far out in order to get deep enough and it's like kind of murky i'm like well all right we're committed to jesus here um so we, we baptized and then and then and then go, went to shore and i just addressed the crowd and i said hey is there anybody here who's not been water baptized you're a believer in jesus but you've put this thing off for for maybe years and you've just not responded in obedience to this, this, this command to be water baptized. And there was somebody there. Didn't have their bathing suit, didn't have anything to change in. And she's just like, yeah, I need to be water baptized. Let's do this. Come on. No class. It's just like, all right, obedience. And I loved it. Just this expression. You know, it took me a while to understand that I needed to respond to that command. I was 18, I think, years old. Had bleached blonde hair and had a Superman t-shirt on in the baptismal tank. I remember. And it just, I, I heard my pastor just say, you know what, if you've not been water baptized, you need to be. I said, eh, no big deal, no big deal. I kept putting it off. It's out of obedience. It's a full-on public identification with Jesus. Yeah, I belong to him. It's a sign of entrance into God's covenant community. 
into the church and of a pledged submission to his lordship. And so we understand what baptism is, right? I want you to be able to explain the importance of baptism to someone who's new to the faith, who you're discipling. Also, disciples need to be taught. Uh, and that's the other uh, instruction that we have here, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded and really all that goes with it. So in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has previously introduced the fact that he is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail, prevail against it. I mean, he's doing it. He's building his church and nothing's going to stop it. He's got a people that he's called out of darkness and, and he's called to himself and he's sent back into the world on mission. And they're called to be this city on a hill, this light for all the world to look to and see the gospel at work in their life. And, and you know what? Nothing's going to stop this. You can't stop it. It's his mission. And he, will, he will complete that mission. And, and so the Great Commission is really the answer to how he's going to build his church. He's going to do it through the proclamation of the gospel, through lives uh, like yours and mine. So he's chosen, this is the mystery of it all, he's chosen to use people like, broken people like you and me, to proclaim the gospel that others might come to see Christ for who he is and be added to the church, to the people of God, to find hope and joy in the one true God. What a, what a, what a grace, what a blessing, what a privilege it is. So how can we be quiet? How can we be still when we have this message of hope and truth? We're to teach Jesus' words and deeds. This is the complete expression of all he said and did. So you're like, where do I find that? How do I do that? How do I teach everything that Jesus commanded? That seems a bit overwhelming. Well, I have good news for you. We've been given the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just take somebody through the book of Matthew. Teach them what Jesus commanded and what he did. Just read the book with them. It's like a discipleship manual right here. And so, you know, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you're going to get these, these different perspectives of the ministry and life of Jesus. Eventually, you want to encourage whoever you're talking to to read them all. But Matthew is a great place to hear the commands of Jesus. And you hear them in Matthew almost more than in any gospel, I would say. Uh, but we're to teach the word. Essentially, we're to teach the word of God to people. You know, and, and, and because the word is fulfilled in Jesus, really, we, we see that we can bring just disciples along through the word. And so we want to just be pointing them to the word, to the word. And, and this, this takes time. This happens with both formal and informal teaching. And so, Rose, when you ask, how do we do this? How do we make disciples? Like I said before, it's centered around God's word. Uh, we have to become just um, less intimidated with scripture and see that, hey, you know what? God has given this to us. We might not fully grasp every genre of scripture or everything that we're reading, but you know what? The message is clear enough. It's there. And I can, I can take someone by the hand or we could do it together and walk through books of the Bible together. And you know, that's what's going to really truly impact people. It's not what we have to say. I mean, our life is going to speak, but it's shaped by God's word. Anything that we are today is because of God's truth revealed to us in Holy Scripture and we're shaped by His Spirit. I mean, all these things that we've come to know, it's because of the Word. And so how do we disciple? We point people to the Word of God. That's that, and we, we lead people through books of the Bible. We, we bring people along. And, and so I want our vision for this to grow. What if you reach one person every day? You might have heard this when I gave the announcement about, for this class. But what if you reach one person every day with the gospel, the good news of Jesus, 
in his saving reign. And they were saved. Every day for a year, 365 days, 365 people. Wouldn't that be glorious? In 16 years, you would have reached 5,840 people. What if you reached one person this year with the gospel? You presented it to them, and then you didn't stop there. You came alongside them, and you discipled them. In other words, you spent time with them. Time equals influence. You, just, you took time with them. You taught them how to read the Bible, how to understand the Bible. You, you taught them the truths of Christianity, the things that have just so uh, captivated your heart about the gospel. You've, you shared your life with them. You trained them to do uh, that with somebody else so that you would see this generational uh, thing where you, you're, you've invested in someone and then later down the road you see that they've invested in someone and, and hopefully that person has learned to invest in somebody. What would happen? In 16 years' time, if you took time to invest in one person for that whole year who then began to invest in someone the next year, in 16 years' time, we would have reached 65,536 people. That's compared to the 5,840. Listen, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, and for me, I mean, the weight is kind of lifted when I think about that. You know, I can't, it's, I get overwhelmed if, if I'm going to try to reach 365 people with the gospel and see them saved. I mean, I'm not George Whitfield, you know, I'm not like this, this uh, evangelist who's holding tent meetings and seeing hundreds and droves of people coming to faith in Christ, but you know what? I mean, God might use one of us that way, but he could use all of us to invest in one person this year and teach them to do the same. I bet you th that you could do that with a few people this year. If you've got children, you just invest in them to, to, to do what you're doing. If you've got others that, you know, uh, working with maybe in your community group or or just meeting with. I mean, just it's just investing in people. Maybe Jesus knew what he was talking about. Maybe we can't come up with a better program than the one he gave us, the plan that he gave us to make disciples. And so you might say, I want to do this. I want to do all, all everything you're saying. I want to make disciples, but I don't know how still. I just, I hear you, but I don't know how to put this really into action. I have some good news for you. I, I, want, I want to I encourage you that you're making disciples. More than likely, you are at work right now making disciples in some form or fashion. Let me just help you. So many of you are already doing this. You might say, really, where? Well, first, our Sunday morning gatherings, when we gather, we don't gather just for ourselves. You get up every Sunday morning and you gather and you sing songs with people and you join vo the voices of those surrounding you and, and you, you come. If you didn't come and everyone else chose to kind of see this as an optional gathering, what would we have? Just kind of people kind of coming and going as they please and not committed. But, but you come and even if you don't necessarily speak a word of encouragement or uh, read a passage to someone or pray with somebody, uh, you're still there. Okay, you're influencing the group. You're influencing the church. Sunday PM classes, your participation. New creation kids, if you're investing in our children. Community groups, your participation there. A passage of scripture spoken. I want to give you another example. Uh, I meet with about 20 guys once a month on a Saturday morning. And we had a time of prayer and worship in the beginning. And one guy spoke up uh, a psalm. Uh, talking about how it actually was the psalm that I read in first service, uh, talking about how God is our portion. You know, though our, our heart and our flesh might fail, God is our portion. You know, nothing uh, compares to Him. It's my paraphrase. So, so anyway, that was shared. That verse shared 
uh, impacted someone in that meeting. But what that person didn't know is it had a ripple effect. And later that week, I, I met with different guys from that class that were very impacted by that passage. And that person had no idea, but I told the guy who I met with, go tell him how much this verse impacted you. He was faithful to share it. You might say, what does all this have to do with discipleship? It's all related. As we engage one another uh, in community groups, as we are faithful to share God's word and pray for somebody and just get out of our comfort zone and reach out with the love of Christ. What about your children? How are you investing in them? Are you reading God's word to them? Husbands to wives, wives to husbands. Are you praying for each other? Are you seeing that as an important part of your marriage? Are you talking about what you're learning in scripture? I'm sure some of you are. And so I want to encourage you. That's discipleship. Now, that's a broad view of discipleship. But there should be also other things happening in our life where we're being intentional. All that takes some intentionality. But I want us to see that there's even more that we can be doing. And not see that as a burden, but see that as a great privilege. And so what would you do if you had a non-Christian, a young Christian, and a mature Christian in your life? In other words, and I want to um, read this article, uh, you probably know someone, perhaps a coworker who is not really a church person, right? Everyone's got that person in your head? Let's call him Andrew. Perhaps you've discussed religion with him. Maybe you haven't. You're you're reasonably sure he's not a Christian, yet he seems curious about your faith. He also seems to have some misconceptions about what the Bible says. You've never had the time or the right opportunity to address his questions. You also know a young woman at church. Let's call her Nora. She's in her early 20s and recently began attending your Bible study group or your community group. And she seems to be a relatively new Christian and knows very little about the Bible, but but is eager to learn more. You probably know some others from church, perhaps a young man who is a a, a likable, totally committed uh, Christian. Let's call him Julius. He, along with his wife, volunteers to help in the nursery one Sunday per month. People respect him and value his input, but he isn't normally tapped for leadership. These are three ordinary people, very much like the people in your life. They each have a different perspective on Jesus Christ and the Christian faith. Now, let's imagine that you have been assigned to devise a plan for the spiritual growth and discipleship of all three of these people or people in similar situations. What a task, right? Where would you begin? Perhaps you would invite Andrew to the next big evangelistic event at your church. Check, right? Check that off. (laughs) And isn't there a discipleship program going on that might be good for Nora? Check. There, she's good. And that leaves Julius. What are you going to do with him? By outward appearances, he is sailing along quite well. Perhaps a special interest class offered by your church might have some interest for him. Check. Done. All three of them taken care of. Now, if any of those plans for growth were the kinds of things that came into your mind, I I want you to know that you're not alone. After all, for generations, we have been conditioned to think of spiritual growth mainly in terms of an event to go to, a program to register for, or a class to take. The church often puts its creative energy into initiating events, programs, and classes uh, specially designed to win people to Christ, to help them grow in their faith, etc. And yet, as successful as some of these plans have been, we might still be missing out on something more dynamic, something more straightforward and right, uh, right for this day and age that returns gospel growth to everyday fabric of personal relationships rather than relying on church-run programs. Imagine that there is some way that Andrew, Nora, and Julius could all grow in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ by the same means. They could be guided in a deeper, more meaningful way 
than through an event, program, or class. They could be guided on an individual basis by someone who cares for them. What is this way? What is this activity that is so simple and so universal that it meets the discipleship needs of these three very different people? Well, that was chapter one. That was the whole chapter of one-to-one Bible reading. Small book that teaches us how to meet with people and just bring them through books of the Bible. Teaches us how to make disciples by teaching them to observe everything Jesus has commanded us. One-to-one Bible reading. It would meet the need of the non-believer. It would help provide answers to the young believer. It would help raise up and disciple the mature believer. It's God's word. Intentional relationships centered on God's word. That's what I'm talking about. So if you leave this class with anything, leave with that. Ask God to help you form intentional relationships centered on God's word. No graduate degrees required. No special classes or events necessary. The result? Self-initiating, reproducing disciples of Jesus. That's the result. It's going to take some courage on your part. It's going to take, take some time. There's no one too young here to do this. There's no one too old. All of us can do this. All Christians are called and have the privilege and the joy and responsibility of being involved in discipling others. And the way we do this is by speaking the truth of of God's word to others in dependence on the Holy Spirit, admonishing one another with the word of God. And so we grow as we hear Christ's word and as we see it lived out. Listen, there has been no greater... um, periods of growth in my life than when I've had the privilege of sitting across from someone and just answering their questions about God's word or wrestling through different passages. And I mean, that's how we grow. And so I'm excited for you. I'm excited for me. When we sit and we go through books of the Bible, I don't care how many times you've done this with somebody, they're always going to bring something new, something unique. Do you guys remember the, the testimony from Chris Kuat, uh, um, who uh, just a couple weeks ago at our 20th anniversary, he talked about how he and I would sit and go through the gospel of Mark. This guy was so honest with scripture, had never read through a book of the Bible like this before, had never read a gospel from, you know, just uh, all the way through. But he was so honest and his questions were just so good. And, and I just so appreciated how he expressed his, his understanding of things. I'm just like, that was good. And the way he was articulating his, his understanding of the gospel of Mark was just, it was clearer than I had heard many Christians who had sat and, you know, 25, 30 classes and and been in church for 20 years. There was a fire in his heart and there still is. And you know what the vision is for him now? It's to make disciples. And I think sometimes that could be lost along the way. We get comfortable, don't we? Going to church. You know, we do our thing. We got our Sunday thing. We got our maybe midweek thing. But do we see the role, the call that we have to make disciples? And do we see how that's going to stretch us and grow us? And, and would we be so bold to invite people into our life and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? It seems arrogant, maybe, to say that. Well, no, I couldn't have anybody imitate me. I'm a loser. Or I don't do it perfectly. Well, no, you don't, and neither do I. But you're a follower of Jesus, and you've got the Holy Spirit of God in you. And you're called to live it out faithfully 
to live a life worthy of the gospel you've received and to be bold in that witness and to invite others to look into your life and, and, and let them know, hey, listen, I'm going to fail. I'm going to mess up. But when I do, hopefully I'm going to repent and ask for your forgiveness. Let them see your life. Invite them in. Let them see you living out your faith. Let me dare you to look at a young Christian and say, you want to know what Christianity is like? Watch me. Follow me. A prayer of mine is a revival, that, that, that a revival in our hearts would happen towards the word of God. That we would really believe that it, it is not only reliable and authoritative, but it's clear. God's word is clear. And, and believe in the power of the gospel to change us and to grow us. Okay, so I read a book called The Trellis and the Vine, which is, is for ministry leaders and, and, and really how you can be so focused on the trellis and, and, and that you miss the vine. I mean, building the trellis, you know. It's like you build a trellis in your backyard, but you don't take time to cultivate the vine. And it was a good book for me as a pastor because I don't want to be all focused on the trellis. I want to care about the vine. And here's what, here's what these it's, uh, two authors writing this book, they write, Imagine if all Christians, as a normal part of their discipleship, were caught up in a web of regular Bible reading, not only digging into the Word privately, but reading it with their children before bed, with their spouse over breakfast, with a non-Christian colleague at work once a week over lunch, with a new Christian for follow-up, with a mature Christian friend once a month for mutual encouragement. It would be a chaotic web of personal relationships, Prayer and Bible reading, more of a movement than a program. But at another level, it would be profoundly simple and within reach of all. I want it. A chaotic web of personal relationships. So, how do you disciple new believers? I found this article online on the resurgence.com, a blog that I I really enjoy. Um, And this pastor... He's a church planter, and he was just trying to find time in his, in his schedule to, to disciple young believers. These are brand new believers, two young men, and he led a community group in addition to his other responsibilities as pastor. And so here, he just encouraged these guys to come 30 minutes early before his community group, and, and he, he basically broke it down at five points. He says, first, just get some time together with these guys. So every Wednesday night, these guys come to my house to join in our neighborhood group, is what they call it with a bunch of other people from our church and neighborhood. I have these guys come 30 minutes early so that the three of us can read the Bible together. Do you hear that? They're reading the Bible together. Number two, they just read Scripture together. So each week we read one paragraph of Scripture together and talk about it. Right now we're reading Philippians because it's the book I'm preaching through. It's the book uh, all, all of our neighborhood groups are studying. And because I believe Philippians is a pivotal book to master for new believers. Number three, talk about scripture together. Each week, I ask the guys two questions about the text. That's it. He's probably got these written in the back of his Bible or something. And you can have it too. Number one, what did this text mean in its original first century context? You're reading a a first century letter. If you're reading Philippians, this is a letter written to the church in Philippi. Real people like you and me. I mean, they had a heartbeat. They got hungry. uh, They went to bed. They worked hard. They played hard. I mean, this is, these are people that, that Paul dearly loved and took great joy in. And so what did this text mean in its original first century context? That's always important when we read scripture. What did this mean to the original hearers? 
because we can arrive at the intended meaning of that passage when we ask that question. And then number two, what does this text mean for our lives today? And as we work through these questions, I, I connect our thoughts to Jesus and the bigger storyline of Scripture. Man, that's really wise. And you get what he's, what he's doing? So he, it's important that we understand the context, but then also connecting it to our life. And as we work through these questions, he's connecting their thoughts to Jesus, always asking, all right, how is this really pointing to Jesus or helping us understand the work of Christ and the bigger storyline of the Bible? And the more you read the Bible, the more you're going to understand the storyline. Number four, he says, connect Scripture to life. From 30 minutes of Bible reading and these two questions, we end up covering a ton of theological and practical ground. Last week's study of Philippians 1 led to conversation about the Trinity, the second coming of Christ, how to pray, and God's sovereignty and our responsibility. That's a lot of ground. All from just reading Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11? You bet. And finally, build the relationship. Most believers have never been intentionally discipled, and most believers have no clue how to go about discipling a new believer. The problem is that people don't have a good understanding of what discipleship is. Here's a definition. Discipleship is truth transferred through relationship. Intentional relationships. There's an intentionality. Truth transferred through relationships. Have you been invested in this way? You'll never forget it, right? You know who those people are that took time with you. It's changed your life forever. And maybe you never have. But hopefully that'll change. Hopefully someone will begin to invest in your life this way. Hopefully someone will begin to take time with you this way. But even if no one does, it's, it's game on for you. You know? Debbie, you had a question? That's okay. Okay, number... Well, I don't know that, uh, if there's a big difference uh, in these points. The, the, the bigger thing is, is just, uh, and I can give you this article, um, but what did this text mean in its original first century context, and then what does this text mean for our lives today? This is just an example, guys. I just wanted you to see uh, an example of somebody else um, and what they're doing, just 30 minutes before their, their, their community group, just taking time to ask questions of passage with, with two guys. You, you can do this. This is within reach. Any of us can do this. And, and I hope it's just giving you vision to bring someone through books of the Bible and just to have open and honest relationship with people. Making disciples is not going to happen through methods of mass production. There are no shortcuts to maturity that I'm aware of. It's a process. It's not a one-time event. So where does this happen? It's, it's, it's all going to happen within the context of the local church. So I, I firmly believe this. We're doing this together. And that's why planting local churches is a vital part of fulfilling this mission. This is not an individualistic endeavor we've been asked to participate in. The church is to be this tangible, visible expression of the kingdom of God, the reign of Jesus over our life. It's a counterculture. It's this royal colony of heaven where we demonstrate how to live under the kingship of Jesus. And as people look into our lives, they should see that we're living under the reign of King Jesus. They should see something different about this group of people that gathers to worship and to encourage each other. So this is the context for discipleship. Now you might say, well, it's going to happen at a Starbucks or it's going to happen, you know, at my workplace or at my school. Well, yes, but you're being fed. You're being encouraged by the broader body of Christ when you come together and worship. And hopefully you're going to connect that person you're meeting with to the local church. 
Is this the culture of our church? Is this our burning desire to make disciples? I want it to be. Finally, I want to close. It's kind of a longer point, but we can do this. You give me 10 minutes, we got it. Jesus comes back for the mission, and I want you to see this. Number four, Jesus comes back for the mission. And so, uh, first of all, we know we have instructions, uh, baptism and teaching. Those are, those are really clear instructions that Jesus has given us. But it's important for us to see that Jesus comes back for this mission. He comes back to empower and to lead and comfort and supply the grace and strength that we need to do this. Look at verse 20 with me of Matthew 28. He says, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely... He's just, hey, he's, it's like he's saying this. Be sure of this. Hey, guys, pay attention. Be sure of this. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. And so I wonder what the disciples were thinking. I mean, let me get this straight. The one who has been given all authority, he's going to be with us? But wait a minute. Jesus is about to leave. How is he going to be with us? I mean, the one who is with us now in flesh, uh, he's leaving. How's he going to be with us? So we can't forget then what happens uh, just a few weeks later on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, where the Spirit of God is given to to the gathered community of believers. Remember what Jesus said in in Acts. Turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, he, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and check it out. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See that ripple effect that be, what began in Jerusalem would reach the ends of the earth. How? By the presence of the Holy Spirit, by the presence of the one true God. We believe in a triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will be with you. And then he he sends his spirit. And so here, Jesus continues the mission through us. And he is on mission through us. His spirit is present. He is present. And he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And so we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this. And this isn't so much a cozy reassurance as it is a necessary equipping for mission. Like, oh good, Jesus is with me. You know, and we feel so cozy. You know, we feel so good. He's just, he's my buddy. No, this is an equipping for mission. He's with me. The one who's been given all authority is with me and calls me to something. And there is a cozy reassurance that can come from that too, but this is a critical element to the mission we're on. Are you convinced that he's present with you? He is God with us. He is God with us. Why, why are we alive? Why are we here? Why have I been saved? What's my calling in life? We can easily lose our sense of calling. Lose our sense of really feeling the weightiness and the privilege of being ambassadors of Christ. That we can lose that sense of being uh, the ones who are called out and, and then sent back in on mission. And lives are being spent on all kinds of things. You know this. Extracurricular activities. We have this culture full of men who have prolonged their adolescence. Young men who feel the right to coast, to spend their summer hanging out and putting off work, to live with their parents as long as possible, to go into debt, to lack discipline, to despise responsibility. And our culture doesn't only tolerate this kind of extended adolescence, but it encourages it. I point this out not to mess with the men, but to challenge the men. I'm grateful for the men in this room. 
But almost half, 48% of American males between the ages of 18 and 34 play video games every day for almost three hours. The average video game buyer is 37. More money is being sacrificed to these things, oftentimes than to the true God of all. I don't, I don't want to strategize on how to pass a video game. I want to strategize on how to effectively reach my neighborhood with the good news of Jesus. I'm not ragging on you, man. If you play video games, fine. We all have our hobbies. Don't let it consume you. What are we about? What are we spending ourselves on? What's this life really about? It's going to be gone just like that. Life is a vapor. We're all so busy with things, but we got to ask, what are we busy with? Don't you want to be a healthy, vibrant, humble community that's emboldened by grace and obsessed with the saving reign of Jesus? I, I, wanna, I, wanna, um, I want you to ask this. What, what is your sphere of influence? I, I ask this of a lot of people. And this is important as we think about discipling others. What is your sphere of influence right now? Where are you living, playing, going to school, or working today that you won't be in the future? So people in suburbia are busy and enjoy their privacy, but they're separated from God and need to know the reconciling power of the gospel. And so uh, my wife, Valerie, she'll go to the same Publix every week, uh, a, a number of times a week. She knows the flower lady. She knows... The, the woman at the register, she knows, uh, she, 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 she boasts in knowing everybody, basically. Um, and, and so uh, the, my, my kids are like rock stars in this Publix. I mean, they're like being given cookies at every aisle and high fives. And it's, it's just, it's good. But she's doing this because she's forming relationships with people that are in our neighborhood, um, getting to know people instead of just dismissing opportunities that are around us. It's easy to dismiss the people we see each week, but learn their names, the people at your Starbucks that you go to, the people at the different uh, restaurants that you visit, and understand that people are not projects either. We love them. We care for them. We stay, we're in this for the long haul, and so we're going to invest in relationships. It's not just about a notch on my belt. Remember, this isn't about a lobbing a gospel bomb, but this is about forming an intentional relationship with neighbors and coworkers and friends and restaurant owners people in our city that we actually care about, we can learn from and, and, and enjoy just getting to know them and really truly invest in their life and, and receive from them, but all the while becoming this open book for them to see the gospel at, at work in our hearts, in our lives. I can't tell you how many times my marriage or the way I'm interacting with my kids has been a witness to people and it just opens the door for the gospel. Faithful, and intentional lives. People are not projects. Remember this too, you're not their savior. You're not their savior. You can't save anybody. But God has used you to bring a gospel, a message that is the power of God to save. And check this out. When you sit across from someone at Starbucks, you bring them the gospel of Jesus and you tell them the story, the good news of his saving reign and what he's done to re reconcile us to the Father, you know something that they don't know. You know that the gospel is the power of God to save. It's the greatest weapon that we have. And as we just faithfully share it and enjoy discussing the truth of Scripture with them, we're bringing them this good news 
that brings transformation, that changes hearts. It's the power of God that saves. It's in this message. It's this message we're called to carry and and live out. And what if we lived with the intentionality of a missionary? Somebody asked me this morning, you going on any mission trips this summer? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to Cuba in August. Oh, yeah, yeah, you like Cuba. Well, yeah, sure, I like Cuba. (laughs) Um, Been there before. We're just going there, there was a need, and I said yes. Um, any other mission trips? Well, yeah, yeah. N- not besides the one I'm on right now. Well, what, what one's that? Right here in St. Pete. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what if we live with the intentionality of a missionary? As if we were on mission, because we are. I read this quote, if I were a missionary to another nation, how would I view my life? What decisions would I make about where I live or how much I need to live on? Where would I spend my time so I could form friendships with unbelieving people? What would I seek to learn about the culture so I could befriend and clearly communicate the gospel? What are the idols and false gods people are worshiping? Are you living with that kind of intentionality? I mean, do you really look around and say, how am I engaging this culture, this city of St. Pete? Do I know how to engage it? Mission happens when there's an overflow of love and joy for God, a true brokenness for the lost, a longing to see others experience the grace and love and truth that we have in Jesus. That's when mission's going to overflow. That's when mission's going to come out. And, and so we all need to be reminded of this calling. What is Jesus calling you to do now? Don't approach this question in this vague, big picture sort of way. Don't think 20 years down the road. Some of you might not have 20 years. When, we don't know. What, what, what next week holds for any of us. But what we need to do is think about today and tomorrow and, and, and this week and ask yourself, where am I living? Where am I playing? Where am I going to school? Where am I today that I won't be in the future? That's your sphere of influence. And you know what? You have a sphere of influence that is not mine. You have a responsibility to a neighborhood that I don't. You have a calling. It's, it's just like mine. It's to represent Christ, to be faithful and, and to see it as a privilege. Well, what is your sphere of influence? Well, I could keep talking, um, but what I'd like to do is I want to close by turning to 2 Corinthians with you, and then we'll open up for a little Q&A, and I have uh, a handout for you. Don't let me forget. We'll discuss it. In, uh... 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. Paul goes on to say, If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Listen, for Christ's love compels us. It compels us. Because we're convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. You hear that? So now... 
from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a great commission there. Wow, we're his ambassadors, representatives of the gospel. Again, this isn't only about conversion. I and mean, when, I, when I preach that message to myself or to my friend who's been a Christian 20 years, oh, buddy, don't forget, you're reconciled to God. You've been made new. That's your identity. Do you know what kind of hope that brings? If we read it from time to time as if it's the first time we've read it, think of how explosive it becomes again. It's like, wow. Are you compelled by the love of Jesus? I trust that you are. And if you want to be more so, then let's just pray for it right now. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for our time tonight. Lord, I, my hope, my prayer with this class is that there would be a, a stirring that happens in the hearts of all those who would be participating and listening. And that we would have a stirring, uh, a, a, a joyful um, desire rise up in our hearts to bring others through your word, to, to disciple to, to understand what baptism is all about and what teaching others uh, is really involves and that we can do it and that you've not left us alone uh, to try to figure it out. You've put us with other believers. The church is your idea. It's your people gathered together. And, and you've, Lord, promised to be with us as well. And you are with us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And, and so you've called us to be witnesses and equipped us to do it. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful with this gospel message and live it out, inviting people into our lives to see the difference. Help us not to be fearful. Lord, all of us struggle with fear. We're afraid of, 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 of people that it just we scratch our head after the fact, wondering why, why we were afraid to begin with. But it's true, fear grips our heart, and you know it. Help us, Lord, not to be afraid, but to trust you. Help us to be bold in inviting people into our life. Oh, there can be fear associated with that, that we won't have the right words to say and we won't know how to go about it. Lord, help us. Help us to get over that, to get over ourselves and to love others, inviting them in. And help us to be faithful with the people that are in our life already, investing in those around us and just having this chaotic web of Bible reading that was described. We want it. Help us to want it more. In Jesus' name, amen.